0: Thank you, and if you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verse 13 and following. We are talking about discipleship. We're commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. We are disciples. The word simply means learner, mathetes, learner. We're all learners, we said. It's, the question is, who is our teacher? And as Christians, Jesus is our teacher. He's our rabbi. Of course, he's more than that, but he's not less than that. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. His Lordship tells us we need to listen to him. And the fact that he's our Savior and loves us compels us To want to listen to him and and trust him. and So as Luke records Jesus making his way to the cross, we see that he's really doing some intense teaching with his disciples. Getting them ready for when he will eventually leave them. And so the teaching applies to us. We're, We're his disciples. We said last week that the first thing a disciple of Christ needs to understand is that we must fear God and not man. Remember that from last week? You must fear God and not man. Jesus said, do not fear man who can only kill the body. Fear God who can kill the body and then he can punish the soul. But he didn't just tell us to fear him out of trembling of what his power and his authority could do to us. He comes in from the other approach also and says, it's a God who loves you and cares for you. He he knows every hair on your head. He has taken care of you. He's a father to us. And so, we talked about fearing God the way you would fear a good earthly father. Yes, I am afraid because my father is big and powerful, but he's also loving and kind and wants what's best for me. He also said that then you must reject false teachers. Fear of the Lord means rejecting false teachers. Especially the ones who tell you what you want to hear already. Those are the worst kind. If they didn't tell you what you wanted to hear, you wouldn't listen to them. So, the wolves in sheep's clothing are the false teachers to reject. And so we worship God by listening to the truth, listening to His teaching. We said last week that The fear of God the Father starts with fearing God the Son as Lord and Savior. And we fear God the Son by fearing God the Holy Spirit, listening to what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in Scripture. And so our triune God is to be feared. The second thing Christ wants his disciples to know is that we must avoid materialism. Materialism. By seeking first the kingdom of God. We could define materialism not just by saying the acquisition of wealth or the acquisition of material goods. Materialism is much more than that. That's the symptom of materialism. Materialism is making this earthly kingdom all that there is, putting all of your focus on the here and now and temporal things that won't be part of the eternal kingdom. And so you could see why one of the symptoms of spiritual materialism is chasing after the here and the now. What you eat, what you wear, what you drive, the house you live in, etc., etc. So, Jesus is going to show us five points about materialism this morning. To steer us away from it. But one of the things I love about Jesus' teaching, and I always try to do this in my own teaching, whether from the pulpit or the classroom, is not just steer people away, but also show them the benefit and the beauty to draw them to what is good. So we show the negative of the things that you should turn from and then show them the beauty. To draw them to what is good. But first I want to introduce you to a guy in the crowd. A, a materialist. I wrote here a man who is too concerned about the wrong kingdom. So remember the scene here. Huge crowd. S- so big that people are stepping on one another. They're, they're trampling over one another So they can see Jesus, so they can hear Jesus, so they can witness this confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus has been teaching these amazing truths, these transcendent truths, truths that have ultimate meaning, the kind of truth you can only get if the eternal God reveals them to you. They're not the kind of truths that you stumble on yourself. This is teaching like the world has never heard before and God in human flesh is in their presence working miracles and everyone is astonished. And then there's this guy. That guy. Completely oblivious to what is going on. Self-absorbed. Worried about his inheritance. Stewing over it. And shows up to this scene and, and he's on a different page than everyone else. And he yells out from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. What? Have you not been paying attention to what Jesus has been saying? How did you connect these dots? How did you get... Well, he didn't connect the dots. He was already there. That's all this man has been thinking about. And before you point the finger, let me tell you, we all do this from time to time. We get so locked into what's going on in the here and now and in this world and in the material world... We ignore spiritual realities. And suddenly, there's only one thing in our life. And for this man, it was this inheritance. And I'm sure he's already decided how he's spending his money. He may have spent it already. And he's in debt. And we know culturally that the firstborn son gets a double portion of the inheritance and gets... To determine how the inheritance gets divvied up. But there are laws that determine how it gets divvied up. And teachers and scribes and others would often be the judge or arbitrator. So it wasn't out of the ordinary for someone to want Jesus to act as judge or arbitrator. That's not the point. It's that... This was not the time or the place. And so, Jesus responds by saying, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, I read that the way that I've always read that passage to myself. And it is the wrong way to read the passage because you're taking a modern euphemism when we say to each other, Man... You know, what you want from me? That's not what Jesus is doing here. We rarely see this kind of uh, greeting in the Bible. It's, It's a very rare thing to hear someone say this to another person. But if you look through the Bible and, and, and see some of the places where someone is addressed as just man, it's usually when somebody is forgetting their place before God. Like when God says to Job, are you done? Now, you will answer me, O oh man. I'll be asking the questions. Paul in Romans, as he's walking us through salvation by grace and we're tempted to say, well, that hardly seems fair that people who work really hard for their salvation need to be saved by grace and people who don't seem to have worked so hard also get saved by grace. That doesn't seem fair, Paul. And Paul says, who are you, O oh man? And he's quoting the Old Testament. So when Jesus is man, he's snapping this knucklehead out of his stupor. I am God in human flesh. Be careful how you're addressing me. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell Jesus what to do. And we must admit that we we do this even in our prayer life and don't realize Our requests turn into demands because they're reasonable and I deserve them. And so why wouldn't God want to give me these things? The law says that I should get part of the inheritance. And so I'm just asking for what is rightfully mine. And here he's demanded that Jesus, he's using the imperative command Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And we'll see this when we make disciples of others. Especially if maybe it's a marriage that isn't going so well and they ask you for some help. But they're not asking, can you show me where my sins are? They'll say, tell my spouse that I'm right. You know, we're bringing in this third party who's objective and both sides think they have the objective truth and they're lining up which witness they're going to call on to tell the other party the way it is. Discipleship is about being humble and recognizing that I can't see clearly on my own. I need God to show me the truth. I need to see where my, I'm missing something. I have blind spots, and I don't even know where they are because they are blind spots. Or I might know what my blind spot is, but I didn't know I was doing it Again. But this man's already figured it all out and he just wants to use Jesus' authority to get what is rightfully his. And my experience tells me that this particular context, the family inheritance, is a great example of where people just go blind I've seen so many ugly examples of families being torn apart over a few stinking dollars. And so Jesus says, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Nobody appoints Jesus to his roles. He has all authority to judge the living and the dead. It's inherent in his nature. The triune Godhead has decided this already. Even in the areas of our life where Jesus says that he will do certain things, we still don't demand of him when he does it and how he does it. So I love that the story starts with this guy that we can all put ourselves in his shoes and say, I'm that guy sometimes. Yes, you are. Or, I'm, It's not just the men here. Yeah, we're, we're stubborn and thick-headed and have blind spots, but male and female, he created them, and they fell together. So this is something we all need to hear. This man was concerned about his own kingdom. His own kingdom. Here's Jesus teaching on the kingdom. And he's focused on his own kingdom. So that's our starting place. And so Jesus gives us warning. That's the first point. This warning. We need to be warned. And he said to them, beware And be on your guard, be on your guard, be actively on guard. This isn't a one-time teaching you receive this morning and then pack it away. It's something we have to constantly be on guard for because this is our everyday life, right? Sunday we hit the reset button and we're thinking about eternal things and no sooner are we walking out the door than, oh, who put a ding in my car door? And everything you just heard in the sermon's gone. You get a license plate over here, you know. And uh, before you know it, you're living back in the world, focused on the world, focused on your kingdom. So he says beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I included the ESV translation here, not because it's better, but because it's a very difficult construction in the Greek to translate. So the ESV says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. They're using that as a synonym for greed. But then... The second half of the warning is a little different than the NAS. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's hard to tell where the word abundance is supposed to fit grammatically. So the way the NAS has it, the warning is even when you have a whole bunch of stuff, your life shouldn't consist of those things. But if we're not careful, then we might say, oh, this is a warning to the rich. And since I'm not in that category, this sermon is for the the wealthy materialists. I got news for you. If you live in America, you're rich. We are filthy rich compared to the rest of the world. So the ESV says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So that kind of puts the emphasis on accumulating possessions. And we all want to accumulate. Some of us are just better at it than others, apparently. <laughs> You've got the, the golden thumb. I'm really good at the... Um, spending of the possessions, right? <laughs> and life becomes all about before you know it just a little bit more and then I'll then I'll be comfortable. Just a just a little bit more and then I'll feel at peace. Just a little bit more and then I will not ask for anything else. And before you know it, you've spent your whole life chasing after the things that don't end up going with you. The temptation then of materialism. Why is this so tempting to us? So Jesus tells a parable. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. So this guy's doing well. It's not that he's poor and he, he's trying to get material things. He's doing well. And he began reasoning to himself, uh-oh, we can talk ourselves into just about anything. He didn't go and talk to his friends. He didn't go talk to someone with wisdom. He didn't go to the Lord. He began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. Now most of us don't have this problem. We just put our excess into 401Ks or the stock market. Which there's plenty of room in there. However, we do run out of room in our homes. So we get bigger homes. And we get sheds. And we get storage containers. Gotta love America. We, re- we rent storage facilities. This is what I'll do. I've got a brilliant idea. I will tear down, I'm going to add a little part to the scripture here, my perfectly good barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And here's the temptation. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You should be satisfied now. You've achieved the American dream. Well, apparently the American dream was the human dream, long before it was the American dream. Where do we see this language, this eat, drink, and be merry? Where's Jesus pulling this language from? Nathan knows, huh? from Ecclesiastes. You want to know what life looks like as a materialist? God's given us the book of Ecclesiastes, To show us the way somebody who is not viewing the world through God's eyes, how he thinks, how he reasons, how he lives. And we think Solomon wrote it after experiencing all of that wealth. And that it didn't deliver what he thought it would promise. So read Ecclesiastes this week. It's a short read. It's 12 chapters. You do... to each day. And just remember, you're reading from the perspective of somebody who's a materialist, leaving God out of the equation. So it's truth, but it's revealing truth to us in such a way that this is the way someone who's not asking God for truth is going to think about the world. Be careful when you read Ecclesiastes that you don't just pluck a verse out of context and say, oh, this is the way I should live. No, actually, Ecclesiastes, most of it is how you shouldn't live. And then, not to blow the ending, but he repents at the end. So, all the way at the end. So, Here's the temptation is that this man thought this is what his soul needed to be happy. The soul is that eternal part of us, that spiritual part. Since we live in the here and now and these material things often bring us temporary pleasure, we begin to think that this is what satisfies the soul. But it doesn't satisfy the soul. It just temporarily satisfies our material needs until it's gone and then we need more. And we know biologically that there's a positive feedback loop. You get a rush of dopamine when you eat something yummy or you buy something new and with the internet now you don't even have to leave your house you can go on amazon and what's the button it says buy with one click click dopamine click dopamine (laughs) click dopamine push the pellet the lever the pellet comes out the rat is happy You're turning yourself into the sum total of your behaviors. We are made in God's image. We don't have to give into the flesh that way. If God tells us there is something better and more glorious, then we trust Him and He gives us the power to delay gratification. When we worship God, when we serve him, when we make disciples, when we lead someone to Christ, when we pray, then you should say, soul, you have many goods laid up for you in heaven, and there I will take my ease. He had put all his future hope in his material goods And so that brings us to point number three, the folly of materialism. Nobody likes to be told they're foolish. And we all fall into materialism and God tells any materialist, you're a fool. It's hard to hear. God knows better than anyone else who's playing the fool. So this is an opportunity to repent to take stock of our lives and see where materialism has crept in. Again, materialism, not just the acquisition of material goods. It's the mindset that this is all there is. This is what is important. Well, obviously, we're not teaching, and God is not teaching, that we can't have some nice things. Otherwise, the discipleship room would be four walls And a few books. I don't think that glorifies God. Unless that's all you've got. Then that's okay. If you go overseas and all they've got is a room to meet in and a Bible. Praise the Lord. We decorated this room specially because... God is a God of beauty, and it says to us, God is important, discipleship is important. It's communicating, this is really important to God, it should be important to us, within reason. It's not like there's $10,000 couches in there or something. And so we can have nice things, but we become fools when we life is the sum total of these things and so god says you fool this very night the very night he said to himself soul now we've got it made god said your soul is required of you and death separates the soul from all these material things And we now must stand before God and those who've put their ultimate trust in material things are going to be judged eternally. Those of us who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we know we're justified, but the Bible clearly teaches we will stand before Him and give an account of how we have spent our time and our talent and the treasure He's given us. Did we invest in In eternal things, or did we invest in that which will be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble? So, whether God was saying to this man, You're a fool in the salvific sense, which is horrible, just terrible, that this man has put all of his trust in his material goods. Or, if he's saying you're a fool in the sanctification sense yes you've you've been justified through your faith, but you wasted the resources that great series by john piper don't waste your life god's given you eternal life don't don't waste it on the things that aren't eternal, but I bet if you went to visit John Piper, he's probably got a pretty nice little house and Austerity for the sake of austerity isn't holiness. Living like a monk. Now if, if the monk's heart is that I want to focus on worshiping God and I've realized that these material things get in the way of that, then, then so be it. But if he's saying I'm doing this to make myself appear holier, then he needs a heart check as well. Some of the most godly mature people I know are very wealthy in this world's goods. And they're very generous with those goods. And so God entrusts more to them because they know how to multiply it and use it for the kingdom. That doesn't mean that if you're not wealthy, don't assume that means because you're just not good with money. And don't assume that a Christian who's rich is being blessed by God because they're faithful with that money. But that principle may be at work. And so that keeps us from looking at one another and dividing up the family of God, the haves and the have-nots, and looking at each other suspiciously. it is the root of much evil in our country right now is everyone looking at each other suspiciously you want to take my stuff well that's my stuff it needs to be taken from you and read us right all of that if we could just get our focus off of that and all realize how blessed we are to live in a land of abundance and to use our abundance to glorify god and help our fellow man love God more dearly, meet each other's basic needs, knowing that God has met our most important needs in Christ. This night your soul is required of you, and now, now who will own what you have prepared? All that work, somebody else is going to benefit. Boy, I've seen this so many times with the family inheritance parents scrimp and saved, especially the generation that lived through the Depression and scrimped and saved and then handed that money to the next generation and gone in a week. And the fighting, oh, if the parents knew the fighting. And I half-jokingly told first service, look, bless your children and go bequeath your inheritance to the church. <laughs> do them a huge favor. And after the service we'll have a representative from the Southern Baptist, right? <laughs> I only half-jokingly say that. That is a wonderful thing to do. If you don't have a living trust made out already, you should you should do that. Be a good steward of what God's given you all the way to the end. And if you don't think your children are going to be good stewards of it, then don't give it to them out of your love for them. Not out of spite, out of your love for them. And if you see that God changes their heart and their habits before you die, you can change your will and your trust. If you think it'll be a stumbling block to them, then don't give it to them. Even now, if you have young children or or teens, they don't have to have a cell phone and a car and whatever. Not until you think that it's going to bless them and help them be closer to God. That takes a lot of wisdom. And it takes a lot of trust built between you and your children. Otherwise, they're like, you don't love me. You don't love me. Everybody else has a cell phone. I don't have a cell phone. If you love me, you give me a car. No child who loves his parents would say that to them. It's it's proof of quite the opposite. I I love my parents. I, I trust you when you think I'm ready for these things and need these things. Then we can talk about the best way to acquire these things. And probably working for those things would be really good for your soul. Here's some sub-points that Jesus gives us that says why materialism is so foolish. 3A, materialism just leads to anxiety. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. As to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. When we focus on material things, we become worried about them in a number of ways. Number one, we're worried we don't have enough. These are not on the screen, just listen here. You're worried you don't have enough. And then you get what you thought would be enough, and then you're like, are you satisfied now? Are you. Well, I'm good today, but what about tomorrow? What does Jesus say in the parallel passage to this one in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount? That tomorrow has enough worry on its own. Don't borrow worry from tomorrow for today. Today has plenty of worry of its own. Don't borrow from tomorrow's worry. remember reading Woody Allen had once said, I try not to worry about the future because if what I'm worried about happens, then I have to live it twice. And if it doesn't happen, I have to live it anyways. And that's probably the only thing I'll ever quote Woody Allen saying <laughs> from this pulpit. <laughs> and honestly, where did he get that from? Our text. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worry of its own. Second thing is we worry that we don't have the right kind of things. So it's, a, it's not a quantity now, it's a quality thing. Okay, well I've got clothing, but it's not the cool clothing. I've got transportation, but it's not impressive transportation. I do have a place to live, but it's got no curb appeal. I finally got my granite countertops and now quartz is in or whatever's the flavor of the month. Like, can you chop food on it? Praise, praise the Lord. And no one's being singled out here. I could pick anything and hit you right between the eyes with it. And this is how our country uh, works. They got to convince you that what you have isn't enough or the right kind. I g- golf with twenty-five-year-old golf clubs that my I got from my grandfather when he died, and but I I love golf, and I you know I'm always this close to believing them when they say these are the clubs this year. these are the ones and you're going to you're going to hit it like jordan Spieth. and they're like jordan Spieth has those clubs and and he lost today and he's really good at golf so it can't be the clubs but and you can fill in that blank with whatever your hobby or your passion is Even when I go to Shepherds Conference and everyone's buying new Bibles, this is the one that's going (laughs) to finally kick my sanctification into high gear. You know? And the old saying is, show me a Bible that's falling apart and I'll show you a life that's not. It's, It's not the condition of your Bible. It's do you read it and trust it and obey it. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Thirdly, we worry about not having enough. We worry about not having the right kind. And then we worry that it's going to get stolen or broken or destroyed. I'm reminded, I, I see a, a Bethany over here. One of, one of those boys drives my old Saturn. I miss that car because I never worried about it. It was 17 years old with finally... It was leaving me stranded down in Bakersfield, and I'm like, I'll just give it to someone who has time to be stranded, right? Uh, (laughs) So it went from a Bower to a Bethany, and I hear you guys fixed it now, so I don't know how to fix cars. But all I knew was if someone dinged the door, who cares? It's the Saturn with the plastic doors, and no one wanted to steal those I don't know, maybe it's like vintage now, and it's something someone would want to steal, but... I never had to worry about that car, and then I got a Subaru for the all-wheel drive, and like every door ding shows up. And you're, you're worried about where you parked it, and did I lock it? In. And Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. You don't have to be worried about people who you've made disciples of Christ with, they're in good hands. They're in good hands now. I, I I worry that that they might turn their back on some of God's teaching, but I mean there's there's some of that worry, but it's not the same as I'm worried about these things that are just going to fall apart and aren't going to heaven anyways. So that kind of materialism leads to anxiety, which then that anxiety ends up accomplishing nothing. Jesus goes on to say, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you, You are then the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? So all that worrying accomplishes nothing. In fact, we now know clinically that anxiety can shorten your life. All that cortisol and being in fight-or-flight mode all the time... No bueno. (laughs) You can't live that way. It just eats you up from the inside out. I, I know. I worry a lot about things. And nothing good ever comes from it. It just wears you out. It makes you discontent. It makes you doubt God's goodness. It makes you think you have more control over this world than you really do. It makes everyone around you miserable saps the joy out of your heart. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, meaning add an hour to your life, which for God is a very little thing. He can add another hour to your life. If he wants you to live that long, that's how long you'll live. If you can't even do that, then why do you worry about all these other matters? If your eternity is already taken care of for you in Christ then we don't have to worry about the material things. 3C, then, materialism leads to anxiety. Anxiety accomplishes nothing, but what it it does do is it demonstrates a lack of trust in God's character. So Jesus reemphasizes the point here. Consider the lilies. First we consider the ravens, now consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. There's the problem. Little, little faith. Now, here's what you should be asking yourself right now. Now, wait a minute. There are Christians around the world who don't know where their next meal is coming from and have no clothing. We have wonderful ministries like Dress a Girl and Compassion International and Children's Hunger Fund. So what is Jesus talking about then here? Jesus is talking about eternal things, our souls. And he clothes our souls with the robes of righteousness that never wear out and are always in style. And he feeds us with the bread of heaven, the bread of life, himself and and the word. So as amazing as it is that God feeds the ravens and clothes the lilies, how much more would he clothe and feed his children? And so he's not talking about material things. That's the whole point. Get your mind off the material and on to the eternal. God will take care of us. And when you retrain your mind to put the kingdom of heaven first the clothes and the food and all that find their proper place. It, it, it's not that we're not concerned about them at all. Let's be honest. we we got to eat. But even if you don't and you die, it's just the body. And the soul separates from the body and there's this whole other life that's eternal. And so if that is the case... And if that is true and we believe it is, then we're ready for the antidote to materialism. He doesn't say just stop worrying. Just cut it out. Just knock it off. That doesn't help anyone. We put off and put on. Put off worrying and put on. No, don't put off the worrying. Put off seeking the material things first. And put on seeking first the kingdom. And then you won't be worrying so much anymore. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. He's talking about Gentiles who don't know any better. Look, you're living like people who don't know any better. You ought to know better than this. You're supposed to be the example. We're supposed to be the example to the world. It, it should befuddle the world but be compelling that you invest your money and your talent and your time into the kingdom of God. Like that video we saw a few weeks ago on Labor Day and the guy would spend his vacations going on mission trips and the other... Um, air traffic controllers were like, "Why would you spend your your vacation there with those people? Don't you have enough stress in your life?" And the guy's like, "That's where I go to de-stress. Seeking first the kingdom. I'm investing in the kingdom. I'm winning souls for Christ. I'm helping people walk more closely with Jesus. What could be more wonderful? I found freedom there." The fact that I gotta feed my body just kind of gets in the way. Oh yeah, I I guess I should eat. Maybe I should buy some new clothes. (laughs) These ones are wearing out. That—that's when you know you're firing on all all cylinders. If people have to remind you to eat, and here's a few bucks, get a new shirt. You know, the '80s called. They want their shirt back. So the the opposite of materialism then is investing in God's kingdom seeking first the kingdom do not be afraid little flock little flock i love that little flock compared to the rest of the world it's we're we're a little flock i understand we're 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 swimming against the stream. We're going against the grain. This is not how the world lives. They don't seek first the kingdom. If you're not intentionally do this, you're just going to get swept up in materialism. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He's, he's already given it to you. You don't have to buy it or earn it. Jesus purchased your ticket into the kingdom on the cross You receive it by faith. It's a gift. You don't have to worry. So sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. People used to keep their excess wealth in money belts hidden under their tunics. Our money belts are things like our retirement funds and the stock market which again is not bad to invest, a day may come where you no longer have the strength and energy to work the way you do now and you should save for retirement. That's being a good steward. But you can't live for retirement. See the difference? You, you can't live... For the day when you could say, soul, I have everything I want now. I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to make disciples. It's somebody else's job now. It's our joy to do these things. Invest where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Where is that? Heaven. Invest in souls. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also you want to know where your heart really is and you don't want to deceive yourself into thinking my heart is in heaven then go home today this week and take an account of your life and see maybe journal and log where you spend your time what you spend your time doing where you spend your money. The end of the year is coming up. We're all going to be putting together our 2018 budgets. We're all going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. What a time to start thinking about what would it look like if I was truly invested in the kingdom. But before you do that, make sure you focus on the beauty of Christ the beauty of the gospel so you're doing it out of the overflow of joy and gratitude in your heart and trust that yeah this will really be better for me don't go home and do it because oh pastor brent really hit me between the eyes today and i guess i better go do this because i'll feel guilty if i don't god doesn't want someone giving in that way he wants a cheerful giver so let me pray for you and you pray for me this is hard this is where the rubber really hits the road. Father God. You are God in heaven. We are here on earth. And yet in Christ our lives are already in heaven. Help us to live that reality now. Be invested in eternal things. To see souls one for Christ. To see people walk more closely with Christ. Show us how we can. Joyfully and cheerfully and more efficiently invest in the kingdom. Work in our hearts, Lord, so the change starts there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.